Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. As I mentioned when I welcomed you all a little earlier on, Pastor Andreas is going to be ministering to us this morning. And the reason I want to just say a few things before he comes up is sometimes when we do something often, it becomes normal. It becomes the norm. There's a certain way in which we do it. There's an attitude with which we do it. And unfortunately, sometimes even coming to church, even coming and approaching to hear the Word of God, we become very familiar with it. Our attitude is, here's another message And I want to say to you this morning that although this is another message, this is not just another message. I believe that the Lord is speaking prophetically to us this morning. And therefore, I want to ask you to to pay special attention, not just to what is being said, but Lord, what is it that you are saying to me? Amen? When the Word of God is preached, Jesus told the parable of the sower, there's different kinds of conditions of heart in which the Word of God can fall. And our prayer, my prayer this morning as I open up the service, is that our heart would be ready and willing to receive the Word of God and that it would be able to take root and bear abundant fruit. So I'm going to call Pastor Andreas up and I want to just open in prayer for him and for the state of our hearts as we receive the Word of the Lord this morning. Father, we want to thank you for this morning, and we want to bless you for this opportunity that we have to sit under the ministry of your word. And Father, first of all, our our prayer this morning with one heart and one mind is, Lord, that you would give us hearts and, and, and hearts that are open to receive your word. Our prayer is that revelation knowledge would flow and that your word would be able to penetrate to the deepest recesses of our hearts this morning, that your light would shine, that all darkness and deception would be cast out, that that every part of us, Heavenly Father, that is apathetic or indifferent, Lord God, would be arrested this morning by the power of your Spirit and the anointing upon your Word. We thank you for your messenger this morning, Pastor Andreas, and we bless him. We thank you that as he ministers your Word, that your anointing would flow mightily through him, because, Lord, you have anointed your Word. And our prayer today is that you would give him boldness to speak, clarity of articulation, Heavenly Father, And that this morning you'd be able to speak mightily into each one of our hearts through him. And we pray that in Jesus' mighty name. And the Lord's people said, Amen. 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 Good morning, church. This morning is an unlike any other morning. For I want to deliver what I believe, a prophetic word for the church in the city of Cape Town. This is not just a word for our little fellowship. I believe it's a now word, a timely word, or a prophetic word in regards to the state of the church in the city of Cape Town. Now, before the Lord allowed me or released me to share this word with you and with the broader church, He wanted me to submit it to our apostolic oversight and to the fellowship of the pastors that I fellowship with every Friday morning so that this word can be discerned, can be judged and tested whether it is a true word of the Lord. You hear and you read about so many prophetic words that are given, especially now for the city of Cape Town. Now, we don't know where those words come from. We do not know that the messengers that they bring those words are adequately aligned or covered or they are under some accountability. So according to the Word of God, every prophetic word that is given, whether it is a prophetic dream or a vision, it must be tested, it must be discerned, and confirmed that it is the Word of the Lord. That's why I have the courage today and the boldness 
to share this word with you and with the broader audience of the church in the city. I was awakened early on Tuesday morning, around about four o'clock in the morning, on the 27th of February, and I woke up from a very vivid dream. As I woke up from the deep sleep, I was continually, even as I woke up, words were coming out of my mouth as I woke up, and I believe those words were the words of the Lord. Before I share the, the dream, I want to share a phrase which I concluded as I woke up, I woke up with this phrase. There is a fragrance that arises from a broken and a contrite heart that releases the hand of God on our behalf. Now, I've never heard that phrase before preached or never even thought about it. But it was so live and so vivid. The dream is as follows. I found myself standing in the midst of a huge gathering of believers. And I believe that this gathering was a church gathering from many different denominations and cultures, but a Christian gathering. I have seen certain people in that gathering that I know, some of them that I have not seen for quite a long time. It was a huge gathering. There were various expressions in that gathering of worship. There were various petitions, prayers, and requests that were made on behalf of the city. As I looked and gazed around this large gathering, I observed in one section of the dream, or one section of the gathering, that there was a team of worship leading worship, worship leaders. And there was a young lady in the forefront of that team, and it made an impression on me because she was wearing a very short miniskirt. And as she played the guitar and moved around, I could clearly see her underwear. And as I stood in that gathering and, and beholding this huge crowd, all of a sudden I began to feel the grieving of God's Spirit. My heart began to grieve to such an extent that it was like a sort of anguish came over me and my heart began to break over what I was seeing and witnessing. And I understood this one thing, that God was looking for something more within this gathering, but he wasn't finding it. And then I heard these words come out of my spirit in the dream. No matter how large your gatherings are, no matter how many prayers and requests and petitions you make, unless they come or arise out of a broken and a contrite spirit, I will not hear them. They are of no avail. And the grieving began to grow larger on my heart. I recall, I picked up the phone and I called Pastor Ken to relate to him this dream. Now, I, said, I really believe that this dream needs no interpreter. It's very clear. And when God wants to communicate a message to his people, it's very clear what he wants to say. He leaves no doubt in our minds or in our hearts what he desires to communicate. And I believe what God was looking for when I said that God was looking for something more than just, uh, and just a surface worship or a form of godliness. He was looking for something much deeper that arises from a repentant heart. He was looking for a sense of anguish and grieving from the church for the state of the church and the state that the city was in. And 
I believe we are experiencing in the natural, in the city of Cape Town, with the drought and the water restrictions that we're going through now, and all that is going on is merely a reflection of what is taking place in the spiritual realm. There is not only a physical drought in our city, but there is a spiritual drought. And it is a reflection of what we see taking place in the natural. I look at my garden. I look at the gardens all around me, and, and it's, it's a complete destruction and devastation. And what we are seeing in the natural, I believe, is just merely a reflection of what is taking place in the Spirit. Now, I asked a question, and I'm asking you that same question. What do you think God was looking for from his church? What was he looking for and he couldn't find it? I believe he was looking for an acknowledgement of sin from the church and a realization of our present state as one of being hardened and unrepentant in the face of the city's plight. That's what I believe he was looking for. What he was looking for was an attitude of humility. An attitude of repentance. An attitude of a brokenness of heart by taking ownership and responsibility for what was going on in the city rather than putting the blame on someone else. And we've had that experience here in the city. Everybody was talking about Zuma must go, Zuma must go. Well, Zuma went. But the state we are finding ourselves in today cannot be blamed on one man. Hello. What I believe God was looking for was for the church to stand in the gap on behalf of the city and cry out to him from a place of brokenness, from a place of a repentant heart, from a place of humility and cry out to God for mercy. There was no acknowledgement of sin in that gathering. None whatsoever. No confession of sin. No responsibility being taken on by the church. And that caused the heart of God to grieve to such an extent that his heart was breaking. And I could sense his heart within me grieving. It was like he was baptized in anguish. God spoke through Ezekiel many centuries ago. And in Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, the word says, or God said through the prophet, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. I found no one. What a state. What a situation. The church is called according to the scriptures, to identify with the sin of the city. Not just our own, but with what is going on. And there is so much going on in the city that displeases and grieves and breaks the heart of God. Murders, rapes, the gang capital of the country, the drug capital. All of these things God beholds and He's aware of everything that is going on. And yet the church is out of sync with God's heart. And if there is one message that I can give you today is this. The church was completely oblivious and unaware with what the Lord feels about our situation in the city out of alignment, out of sync altogether. We continue with our religious exercises day in and day out with our prayers, with our requests, 
And yet God says, unless they arise from a broken heart, from a repentant heart that cries out to me for mercy, they are of no avail. It's like Paul said, we have a form of godliness, and yet we deny the power thereof. God is looking for something more than what we are offering Him as a church. God is looking for something deeper than what we are presently giving Him as a church. Something that arises from a broken heart, from a grieving heart, as a result of the state of the church, as a result of our own state and the state of the city. And yet He's not finding it at the moment. That's why I believe that God was grieving. And now he's calling, I believe, his church to wake up. It's time to awake from our spiritual slumber and begin to hear the word of the Lord. We will see no better days. We will see no peace. We will see no prosperity until and unless the church humbles itself before God and cries out to him for mercy. And God is looking for His church, for you and me, to identify with the sin of the city and intercede on the behalf of the people that God would spare us from judgment. We are so blind, we cannot even recognize God's blessing from God's judgment. And not only are we to identify with the sin of the city, but also acknowledge our own sin, our own lukewarmness, our own indifference in the face of what is going on, our own apathy, lack of passion, lack of zeal for the, for the, for the kingdom of God, for the will of God, for the purposes of God. Where is the passion? Where is the zeal for the Lord's house? Where is the fire? that burns brightly in our hearts. A number of years ago, I was in the state of Florida for the sake of the gospel. I woke up early in the morning, and I went to prayer. I had many questions, but no answers. And I knew that no man could answer my questions, only the Lord Himself. And unless I had an encounter with God, my questions would remain unanswered. And as I began to pray and fast and call out unto the name of the Lord, the first two days was like heaven was made of brass. I couldn't break through. And there on my knees, crying out to God, confessing my own sin and the sin of my loved ones, on the third day, there was a breakthrough. And the breakthrough came in a form of a vision. And this is what I saw. I saw my house in Platycliff. And I saw that my house had a measure of light within it. But the light was dim. It wasn't bright. Every other house in the neighborhood was covered in darkness. But the light that was in my house served only for the purpose of providing for me, offering protection for me and my family, offering financial assistance for me and my family, but the light that was in my house was not strong enough, was not bright enough to make a difference in the houses of the neighborhood. All the other houses were in darkness. And then I saw something I had never been able to forget it. I fell on my face. Because as I saw from above, I was up and I was looking down. And all of a sudden, that light that was in my house began to grow brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter like the noonday sun. And I wondered, Lord, what is going on in that house? Where did this additional light come from? 
Immediately I came and I went into the house in the spirit and I saw myself flat on my face crying out to God, repenting, praying, and crying out to him for mercy. Saying these words, Lord God, be merciful to me. Be merciful to my family. And I was confessing my sin to the Lord. And I heard the voice of the Lord Jesus, our high priest, saying these words to the Father. He said, Father... Hear the prayer of your servant. See how he has humbled himself before you and grant him his request. And that's when the brightness began to shine brighter. And everyone in the neighborhood was lit with the brightness of the light that emanated from my house. And I could see people queuing up from all directions, coming and seeking prayer, deliverance, counseling. And I learned something which I'm preaching to you today. When the church goes on her knees, out of a sincere heart, out of a broken heart, the Bible says that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart God will not despise or reject. That's when God begins to move on our behalf. And that's what I understood. And in order to demonstrate to you what I believe God was looking for from his church, I need to take you to the book of Nehemiah chapter 1 and see how Nehemiah responded when he heard the devastating news that the city of Jerusalem was in devastation and utter destruction. Can we go to Nehemiah, please, chapter 1, and read from beginning with verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, it came to pass in the month of Chislev, in the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity And concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. And so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept. And mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. Nehemiah did not sin. He was in the city of Citadel. He was the cupbearer of the king. He was a very devout man. Yet he begins to identify with the sin of his people and cries out to God in repentance. Notice what he says. We have acted corruptly against you and have, kept, have not kept your commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. And he goes on. We're not, going to, we're not going to read the whole prayer. You can read it in your own time. Notice Nehemiah's attitude upon receiving the news from Jerusalem. When I heard these words, he says, I sat down. You know, the church is so busy today, we have no time to sit down and hear the word of the Lord. Pastors and preachers today go on the internet for $5, they could buy a sermon. We don't have time, quality time, to sit at the feet of Jesus and begin to pick up the pulse and the heart of the Lord, how he feels about things, what he says about things. No time anymore. 
We are too busy. But Nehemiah says, when I heard these words, I sat down. I wept. Our altars are dry. Tearless altars. People don't come to the altar anymore weeping, crying, confessing the sin and repenting. What are they coming to the altar for? Oh no, pastor, please pray for me. My body is sick. My finances are out of order. My marriage is in trouble. It's always about me, 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 me. What goes on with me? And the few tears that we shed is because we are in pain rather than the pain the heart of God is experiencing at this present time. There's no remorse. There's no repentance. No tears anymore. Nobody seems to be confronting sin in the church anymore. It's like a dirty word. Repentance is a dirty word. But I say this to you, my brother, my sister. Where there is no repentance, there is no revival. Where there is no godly sorrow, there is no true repentance. Because godly sorrow leads us to repentance. When we sorrow, we sorrow because we hurt. Have you ever stopped to think how God's heart is hurting over the things that are going on, not just in your own family, but in the church and in the city as a whole? There's no fear of God anymore within the house of God. People, they behave any way they want to, and yet we have them in front leading worship and giving them ministries. People who sleep around live any way they want to. No one wants to hear a word of correction or reproof or discipline anymore. But Paul writing to Timothy, he says, be in season, preach the word, in season and out of season. And the first two words he tells him to do are reprove and rebuke. And then he says, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Hello. When was the last time you or I have wept for your sin? Because we grieve the heart of God. Now we live and pretend like we have no sin. But Nehemiah went to God and he says, I wept and I mourned for many days. I don't know how long he was in prayer. I don't know how long he fasted. I don't know how long he mourned. And he confessed the sin, his sin, and the sin of his people. Now, these are the evidence of a broken and a contrite heart that releases a fragrance in the nostrils of God that moves the hand of God on our behalf to rescue us, to save us, and to deliver us from judgment. Nothing less than this. With so much teaching on grace today and hyper grace, you know, some circles even teach there's no need to confess our sins anymore. Where are we coming to, folks? There is so much deception going on in the church today, and the church is so dull spiritually dull and insensitive. They cannot discern from what is right and what is wrong. No one is confronting sin. How often have you heard from pulpits repentance? How often have you heard that message? I haven't. It's always a soothing message. It's always a loving message. It's always an encouraging message. But the Lord Jesus said, As many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. I discipline. Not punish, discipline. What we've read, Nehemiah's prayer, you may say and argue, Well, that's Old Testament, Pastor. You know, we are no longer in the, new, in the Old Testament. We are under a new covenant, a covenant of grace. I'm glad you reminded me. Because I'm going to share some words from the New Testament. Writing 
James writing to believers, to brethren. Do you want to hear what he says concerning the, these issues? Listen. James chapter 4, beginning with verse 3 through to 10. Speaking to believers, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but He gives more grace? Therefore, He says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Wow. He's addressing brethren. For in verse 2, He says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. He's not speaking to the world. He's not speaking to sinners. He's speaking to the church. And he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. You know, sometimes I think we should leave our church gatherings weeping and mourning and in gloom rather than with a smile on our face. There is a time to weep, and there is a time to mourn. There is a time to rejoice. What time is it now for the church in the city? It's time to mourn. It's time to weep. It's time to repent. It's time to acknowledge our sin and the sin of the city. And go before God and make up a wall, as he says, and stand in the gap and intercede on behalf of the city that we should escape the judgment of God. The Bible says if we do not judge ourselves, God will have to judge us. And the Bible says that judgment begins where? Where does judgment begin? It begins in the house of God. You and I are the house of God. But God's mercy, God's mercy is speaking to us today. And His voice is heard clear and loud. He's giving us truth. And I pray that our hearts are ready to be confronted with the truth and allow the truth to change us, change the way we think, change the way we behave. A number of years ago, I was sitting in the presence of the Lord, just listening to Him. I do that often. Just sit. I don't pray, I don't talk to God, I sit and endeavor to pick up the heart of God because the heart of God lives within us. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit has come to live within the believer. He indwells us by His Spirit. He's not far, He's near. Now how close can He get? Can He get any closer than being in you and me? And I listen, Lord... What is it you're saying to me, to my family? What is it you're saying to the church? I wrote many messages years ago on the state of the church. And in that morning, I heard the Spirit of God say these words. Just because I remain silent concerning certain matters and issues does not mean that I approve of them or I am happy with them. And I asked, Lord, why are you... Why are you remaining silent? Why don't you speak? And then he said, because my church is not ready to receive truth. We're not open to truth. And then he said this, many would rather continue to live a lie than receive truth 
be confronted with the truth and be changed by it. It's like the rich young ruler. He was seeking for truth, but his heart wasn't ready to receive it. He said, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He was a devout young man. He was a godly young man, raised in a godly home, kept the commandments. Jesus looks at him, and the Bible says he loved him. And he said, one thing you lack, sell what you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. And you will have treasures in heaven. What happened to the young man? What did he do? The Bible says he walked away. Why? He wasn't ready to be confronted with the truth. How many of us within our churches are willing and ready to be confronted with the truth and be changed by it? I say not many. That's why I pray that God would give us a heart that loves truth, that seeks the truth, nothing but the truth, because nothing will set us free but the truth of God's Word. We must become lovers of truth. Never mind how much it hurts in the beginning. It is only truth that will set us free. So I'm not here this morning to tickle our ears or the ears of those who will listen to this message. Because this message is not an easy one to preach and proclaim. But nevertheless, it is the now word of the Lord. Notice what James calls the church. He says, you adulterers and adulteresses, do you know that there's such a thing as spiritual adultery? I didn't know that until years after I got born again. Spiritual adultery is when you have a covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ, and at the same time you are pursuing a relationship with the world, its manners, its values, and its systems. And James says, if any of you loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, not just some of it, all that is in this ungodly system that we call the world is full of pride, is full of the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Amen? So much worldliness. I wonder what James would say today if he walked in some of our churches and he sees what's going on, the way we dress, the way we behave. Hello? Where is the fear of God, folks? You know, this young lady, she was all so, you know, in the, in the mood, in the rhythm, and as she was going up and down with the guitar... Everyone could clearly see her underwear. Where's the fear of God? You think I'm exaggerating? How many people are living together yet they sit in church, nobody says anything about it? Don't touch that. Ooh. You know, if you, if you correct, they're going to leave the church. They leave the church, they take the tithe with them. Ah, how are we going to keep this machine running? Compromise. So many congregations manipulating their pastors. They're not allowed to speak the truth to the people. It's time to wake up, church. Amen? Listen to what John says. 1 John, chapter 1, verses 8 through to 10. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Amen? If we confess our sins, then He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. Amen? And as I said before, Hardly today anyone is confronting or rebuking or confessing sin anymore. Just hide it under the carpet. Preach good messages, Pastor. Encourage us. We want to be encouraged. We've had a terrible week. Amen. May God give us a heart that breaks with the heart of God. May God break my heart with what breaks His. 
And may God break the heart of the church with what breaks God's heart. And when we weep, we weep not because of our pain, but because of the pain we caused. The heart of God. Sin is still poisonous. It will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you in prison longer than you want to stay. It's time to confess. And it's time to repent. You may ask, Pastor, what does a broken heart look like? What does it look like from God's point of view? Let me take you to one of the Psalms that portrays clearly what a broken heart looks like. Go with me to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. This is a psalm of someone who though knew God, walked with God, experienced great victories and deliverance from God's very own hand. This is someone who walked so close to God as few men did in the Old Covenant. And yet, not only did he commit adultery, but he committed murder as well. And pretended that nothing was wrong. He went on with his business as usual, thinking that God didn't see. And many of us in the church, we think that God... God God doesn't see what's going on. He, he knows and he sees what's going on. And just because he doesn't speak or make a fuss about it, that doesn't mean he agrees or he condones what is going on in our lives. Amen? And the prophet comes to him and says, you are the man. You did this. Notice, look, what he, look how he humbles himself before God. From Psalm 51, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressions your ways. And sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation. And my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. That is the kind of sacrifice that God was looking for from the gatherings of his church, and he wasn't finding it. Do you want to know what a repentant, broken heart looks like? This is a broken heart, filled with anguish, filled with godly sorrow, acknowledging and confessing his sin before God. And the prophet said to him, your sin is forgiven, but not before. He cried out to God for mercy, acknowledging his transgressions. 
Andrew Murray said in one of his books, The State of the Church. If you can get hold of that book, please do. Those of you who are inclined to pray and intercede for longer periods of time, do yourself a favor and study that book. The things that he wrote in the book are more applicable for us today as a church than it was in the year he wrote the book. And in one of his passages, I think is in, is in, in page 69, he writes the following, and I quote, Spiritual truths cannot be grasped by the natural mind. It is by God's Spirit alone that it can get full possession of our hearts. What is more, it takes time with God alone for Him to breathe and then to deepen the spirit of contrition. It takes time to turn away from the world and its numberless interests and to wait on God to bow and to bend the heart. There's one thing that the church desperately needs today is to bow and bend our hearts. Not just our knees, but our hearts before God in humility. He says, contrition must become such a reality that we feel something of the pain of the broken heart that we offer this sacrifice to God as a felt living reality. Where the Spirit has worked such contrition, He whose name is holy will come to dwell with Him that is of a contrite and humble heart. End of quote. It's going to take time in the presence of God for Him to open our eyes and our ears. But if we want to see a change in our own lives, in the life of the church, in the life of our fellowships, in the life of the church, wider circles, and if we want to see a change in the city, it begins with you and I. When we stop shifting the blame and putting them on the politicians. As the church goes, so does the city goes. God is not looking to the politicians. He's looking to you and I. What are we going to do about it? We say and we proclaim that we serve a mighty God. That all things are possible to Him. Do we believe that? If we do, what are we doing about it? Are we approaching Him in the right attitude? Or are we continuing with our religious sacrifices as usual and pretend that nothing is wrong. Some of us are going through great trials, perhaps in your marriage, in your finances, in your relationships, or even in your church. What are we going to do about it? Are we going to sing our songs as usual? going to hear another message. I wonder what the pastor has to say this morning. And by the time we reach the door, we already forgot what he said. Or are we going to go home and allow God to take us into the river of his anguish? I recall many years ago, I was just a couple of years old in the Lord. But I fellowship quite a lot with my Greek country fellow men. In fact, those were the only people that we mixed in fellowship with besides the church that I was attending. And there came a time when I was sitting in church and my pastor was preaching and prayers were made that, that, that my heart began to break for the state and the condition of the Greek community of Fort Victoria. And while I was sitting there in church, I would see myself with him fellowship with him, praying with him. And the burden began to grow and grow until I could find no other release but to get on my knees with fasting and with praying and with weeping and crying out to God that he would do something about the plight of my own people. 
That's where I found all of these prayers that I read to you. The prayer of Nehemiah, the prayers of Jeremiah, Ezekiel. God would take me into all these prayers and showed me how the people of God would pray and intercede with repentance, with confession of sin, and I began to do the same. Guess what? It wasn't long before God did something about it. What did he do? He empowered me and anointed me, and then he sent me to them, just like he did with Nehemiah. When you get serious with God, when you get serious with God's business, you are the first candidate that he's going to anoint and he's going to send with a specific mission. But it has to start from our knees, folks. What are we going to do with this word that we've heard today? What can we do? Now, you cannot work this up in the flesh. It has to be a work of the Spirit. May the Lord give us ears to hear today. May the Lord give us such a heart that will embrace and take this word to heart and do something about it. Shall we stand and pray and allow the Spirit to move as He wishes If he moves on your heart this morning and you want to come out here and kneel before him and do business with God, do so. Allow the Spirit to move you. Allow the Spirit to speak to you. Allow the Spirit to do whatever he wills with you and I this morning as we stand before his holy presence. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus today. But we come with a sorrowful heart, Lord. We come with a heart that's been convicted through the Word. And we come to acknowledge our apathy, our lack of zeal, our lack of concern, concerning the things that are going on. Not just in our own lives and in the life of the church as a whole, but in the, in the life of the city that we love and we call our own. This is one of the most beautiful cities in the world, Lord. The city of Cape Town. Yet the city of Cape Town this, at this time is facing one of its worst droughts in a hundred years. Not only the drought, but we are facing the impending judgment of God unless we turn from our wicked ways and call out to you in humility, with a broken heart, and with genuine repentance. Father, forgive us, not just for our sins of commission, but the sins of omission, the things that we should have done and we didn't do, the prayers that we should have prayed and we didn't pray them. We humble ourselves and we cry out to you for mercy, creating us a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within your house. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.